0: I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you do, please open them to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. It's great to be up here again. I haven't been here for a while. I think the last time I interacted with you folks was uh, via a Zoom, couple Zoom meetings from Albert's basement last year. Um, so it's nice to be with you again. First time I've been outside with you. I'm Robin Boivere. I'm a pastor at Covenant Life Church, and I'm happy to have my wife Clara with me. Um, We've been married um, 40, almost 43 years, almost 44, but who's counting? (laughs) We have four children and 15 grandchildren, and we have a lot of fun. We're very blessed, and I've always enjoyed my time coming here. It's great to see Marshall and Tammy, uh, two of God's wonderful, wonderful saints who have been serving God in a Exciting ministry, and good to be here with you, Albert. Also got to meet Sarah and Walker and Avery and Stella, who are here for the first time, I think, from Nebraska. Greet them if you can, and Luke and Madeline that are getting married, and all these uh, young couples that are either in the process of uh, engagement or just getting married. It's real exciting to see what's going on here. I just sense a lot of life in the group. Well, um, today I'd like to uh, to preach to you from Acts chapter 2. I'd like to give a little bit of background. I'll be here actually next week as well, uh, so uh, I'm not going to be in a hurry. I think we've been here a while, and I'm not going to preach for a long time. Uh, but I do want to set the stage. This is a portion of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, that details something called the Day of Pentecost. Day of Pentecost was the birthday of the Apostolic Church. It was the day when the Holy Spirit came to 120 disciples of Jesus Christ who were seated together in an upper room. The Lord Jesus had, just a few weeks before, died on a cross, been buried, but rose from the dead, hung around with his disciples for about 40 days, and then, outside of Jerusalem, he ascended in their midst. He just rose up. He levitated from the ground into the clouds and was gone. But he had told them, you hang around in Jerusalem because not many days from now, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so they obeyed him. They hung around. And for 10 days, they had a prayer meeting, 120 of them in an upper room. And then if we read this passage in the beginning of the book of Acts chapter 2, we'd see that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one accord. And all of a sudden there came a sound like a rushing mighty wind that filled the whole room where they were sitting. And cloven tongues like as a fire rested upon each of them. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And as the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, they poured out of that upper room and began declaring the wonderful works of God in languages that they'd never learned. But see, this was the Feast of Pentecost taking place in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem had swollen in size to the place where perhaps even 100,000 Jewish people from different parts of the known world had gathered, and they had their own different dialects. And they heard these Galilean... Peasant people declaring the wonderful works of God, each in their own dialect, in their own language, languages that they knew these people had never learned. And so they were, well, the text tells us a number of things. It says they were bewildered by this, they were astonished, they were amazed, they were perplexed. And then they asked a question. And if you have Acts chapter 2 open, In verse 12, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? They knew it was significant. They knew it had meaning, but they didn't know what it meant. What does this mean? And Peter took the opportunity to respond. Now that question, what does this mean, falls into the category that all teachers know. (gasps) Now that's a good question. Have you ever heard a teacher say that to any, anybody here ever been a student? Have you ever heard a teacher say, oh, now that's a good question? Well, maybe it's a good question. Maybe it's a dumb question. But teachers love to say, oh, there's no such thing as a dumb question. They'll say, that's a good question because you've just given them an open door to begin to teach and perhaps even preach, which is what teachers love to do. It's what she loves to do, it's what he loves to do. If you're a teacher, you just love to teach. You want other people to shut up so you can teach. You want them to hear what you have to say. And that's what Peter was gonna do here. He was gonna do that. Now, some of them said, what does this mean? There were others that said in the very next verse, oh, we know what this means, these people are drunk. But Peter said, oh, no, 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 they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Give them a little time. <laughs> now, I'm going to begin reading here from Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. But Peter, taking this opportunity now, standing with the 11, he lifted up his voice and he addressed them. And he said, "Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. and Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will have visions. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great day of the Lord the day of the Lord comes that great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well first of all Peter took this opportunity to tell them what this means. And he immediately turned back to the prophet Joel, a prophet in the Old Testament, and he lifted something out of Joel that he felt directly spoke to the situation that they were in. The Holy Spirit had just been poured out, these people had been filled with the Spirit, they had been given this gift of other tongues. And Peter said, This is. Is what Joel prophesied when he wrote in the last days. God says, "I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The old men will dream dreams. Old men, that's young men will have visions, and then it's going to be. Uh, well, what, look, you got to understand though, the whole prophecy of Joel was a prophecy of judgment. The whole prophecy of Joel was God visiting upon his people a locust plague. If you've read the book of Joel, it's a dark judgment book. Locust plagues, unlike cicadas, destroyed. In an agrarian culture, locusts ate everything. And when that happened, that meant people didn't eat. This was a judgment of God that he was calling upon his people. But in the midst of this dark, dark moment, a bright spot. God said, in the midst of this, I am going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm going to show you a light at the end of the tunnel. Did you know, my friends, that the judgment of God is actually a present reality in the world today? Sometimes we see it spike, We just had a worldwide pandemic. That is a pestilence. That is a judgment of God. Do you realize that? And yet in the midst of that, there are a lot of bright spots. For God's people, for those that know him, these can be opportunities to glorify God. And as a matter of fact, we've seen a lot of that happen even in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. We've seen God do wonderful things. So what Peter's saying is, in this larger picture of judgment, there's a bright spot. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he's saying specifically this day of Pentecost, this is happening right now. Now, as he gets to the point here, at the end of it, he says, there's going to be signs and wonders as well. The sun's going to be darkened. Moon turned to blood. Hey, you know, just a few weeks before this happened, Jesus was hanging on a cross and the sun was darkened. As far as a blood moon, these are things that happen that we are supposed to be able to read the signs and see what's going on. But at the very end of the prophecy, he has this statement, a very positive statement. It says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, that's the reason he's talking about Joel's prophecy. That's what's going on here. This is a moment for you to call on the name of the Lord. Now, after Peter presents the prophecy of Joel, he then does something very important. He begins to proclaim to them the message of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the central figure in the history of redemption. He's the focal point of everything that God is doing. Jesus, of course, is God the Son. The second person of the Godhead who has always existed became incarnate in Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin at a point in time in human history. He lived a holy life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose from the grave. He was exalted to the right hand of of the Father. And now Peter takes the opportunity to proclaim this. Follow with me now as we read in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, this Jesus delivered up For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus raised up and exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus is proclaimed now. Peter is taking this opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ. And this is the message about Jesus Christ. If we look closely at this passage, and we really don't have time to teach it very extensively, but this forms what the Apostles then called the kerygma or the proclamation of the gospel. It was kind of like the talking points that they had when they were proclaiming about Jesus Christ. And it's interesting what Peter refers to here. You see it recurring again and again in the book of Acts. He talks, first of all, about Jesus of Nazareth as a man attested by God through signs and wonders and miracles that he did. So, first of all, Jesus was attested by God with signs and wonders and miracles. God authenticated Jesus. The Father and the Holy Spirit authenticated the work and ministry of Jesus Christ with miraculous signs and wonders. The miracles attested to Christ. They authenticated Christ. They validated and They showed him to be authentic. In other words, it's as if God is saying, this is my guy, Jesus. The miracles that he did proved that he was someone special. So first of all, God attested Jesus Christ. But the second talking point of the apostolic proclamation, and this is essential for us to understand in the gospel, is that this Jesus Christ, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, this same Jesus Christ was crucified. And look at it carefully. This Jesus, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Do you see what's being said here? This is one of the most amazing statements in all of the Bible. Jesus Christ was crucified, true, by the hands of lawless men, but it was according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It wasn't a surprise to the Heavenly Father that Jesus was crucified. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus. In the eternal counsel of God, Father, Son, and Spirit had agreed that Christ would come, that Christ would live and that Christ would die. It was predetermined. This is where the providence of God and the responsibility of man come together. It's a mystery. How does it work? Well, obviously, murder is not God's will. And yet, God's predetermined plan was that Jesus should die. Yet he died by the hands of lawless men. Now, we know God does not do evil. Neither does he tempt any to do evil. The people that crucified him, crucified him because that's what they wanted to do. And yet, somehow, this was in the providence of God, planned and predetermined by him. Now, this is a theological truth that if you can get a hold of it, my friends, it can do wonders in your life. Because what this tells us is absolutely nothing happens apart from God's knowledge and God's will. And yet at the same time, God cannot be charged with evil. This is very deep stuff. But if you know this, you know that nothing can happen to you apart from God. I'd just like to illustrate this for a moment. This, by the way, does not eliminate pain, it does not eliminate suffering, it does not eliminate perplexity, but it can go a long way to mitigating it. It's probably about 20 years ago, I was asked by a a dear friend who is an African brother if I would come to his house because he had to give his wife some very bad news. Her elderly father, 89-year-old man, had been beaten to death by armed robbers. And he had to tell his wife, can you be there when I tell her? I said, yes. So I came to the house. This is a godly couple, leaders in our church. I love them dearly. And as he began to explain to his wife, I mean, she came home, she was a teacher, three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, what's the pastor doing here? This doesn't look good. And then with tears in his eyes, he told her, I had just, just received news earlier today that your father died and she began to weep sitting on the couch and then of course the question came give me details how did it happen and he turned to her and he said armed robbers broke into his house and before he could get any further she began to exclaim armed robbers and she started to beat on him as the unfortunate one bringing the news armed robbers and then out of the depth of her being came a prayer a cry God I don't understand but I trust you and I want to tell you I felt like I was on holy ground when I remember that moment I I just begin to cry Now, it didn't eliminate the pain. It didn't eliminate the perplexity and the suffering. But I want to tell you, knowing that somehow all of this that happens in life is within the purview of a heavenly father who knows what he's doing, goes a long way to strengthening our souls So I just want to log this for the moment. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was absolutely the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the universe. That God the Son would die the way he died. And for those disciples that saw this happen on that Friday, devastation doesn't begin to express the depths of despair that they must have felt. But my friends, three days later, when he rose from the dead, the very worst thing that ever happened in the history of the universe became the very best thing that ever happened. Because this is the means whereby you and I might come into a relationship with God, have our sins forgiven, and receive the gift of eternal life. Now that doesn't answer the problem of evil. But it goes a long way in pointing the direction to its solution. So we log this in the proclamation of the gospel that God attested Jesus Christ as his son with signs and wonders. But this same Jesus, this Jesus, Peter proclaims, was crucified by the hands of lawless men. But then he goes on to say that he rose from the dead. He was crucified, and yet in the very next verse, 24, God raised him from the dead. And then Peter goes on to quote from the book of Psalms, from David in Psalm 116, which is a psalm of David, and he refers to David not as a king, not as a psalmist, but as a prophet. And in this psalm, this is one of the few psalms that gives hope of a life after death, and he says, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then he goes on to explain, hey, brothers, I can tell you confidently that David, he died. He was buried. His tomb's with us to this day. We can go right down the street and see it. And if we went inside, we'd see that his body had decomposed. So he's prophesying not about himself, but about someone else. He was prophesying in that psalm about Jesus. Right next to us here is a cemetery. I can guarantee you that if we dug up any of these graves, the bodies would be decomposed. That's what happens. We live, we die, we're buried, our bodies decompose. Not Jesus. No. His body did not decompose. There was a hope of life after death for him. And Peter takes the opportunity to make this clear. Jesus lived His miracles show that he was attested by God. He was really crucified. He was really buried. God really raised him from the dead because he was not subject to decay. Three days later, he rose. Now, he really died. He really experienced death. But his body did not undergo decomposition. God attested to him. He was crucified. He was raised. But the fourth point is equally important. He goes on to say here further down in the passage that this same Jesus, this Jesus, the demonstrative pronoun is used, this. Intensity and emphasis, this Jesus, not another. This is the Jesus we're talking about. Not the Jesus you might like to think about, but the Jesus that's presented in the Bible. This Jesus was then exalted. That's the ascension. He not only lived Died, was raised, but after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven. He went up in the clouds, as I said earlier. And then he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and from that place of exaltation, that place of authority, Jesus Christ, Peter says now, has sent forth this, which you now see and hear. He has sent forth the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that he would send the Spirit. It's the promise of the Father, but Jesus said, if I go away, I will send him to you. If I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go away, I will send him to you, and this is what you are experiencing here today. Well, Peter's not done. He's preaching, he's proclaiming, he's announcing, God has acted, this is what has happened. But in proclaiming this, Peter is not negotiating with people, that's not what we do. Now, we might share the gospel with others and we should on a personal one-to-one basis, but when the gospel is preached, when it's proclaimed, God is not negotiating. He's telling you what he has done and this is what Peter says next. He says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified." All of this goes to show that God made this Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus, who, by the way, you crucified. Now, let's think about this for a moment because this is very important. Peter, a few weeks before, was denying that he even knew the Lord, cowering before a servant girl. Now, he's standing up in a crowd and he's accusing these people of having crucified the Son of God, who, by the way, isn't dead anymore. He's actually alive in a position of authority. You crucified him. Weeks before, there was a crowd shouting, crucify him. It's very likely that some that were there that day had actually been there shouting. But even if they hadn't, think about this. Who is responsible for the crucifixion death of Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, it, it was Judas. Judas betrayed him. And, and that's certainly true. Or you could say, well, it was actually, it was the Jewish religious leaders. They instigated it all, didn't they? They paid Judas, and then they, 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 they set it all up, and, and then they egged on the crowd to cry, crucify him. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. But well, wasn't it the Romans? Pilate, out of cowardice, gave in to the crowd's demands. And then the Roman soldiers, they were the ones that really drove the nails. And so they were all implicated in it, weren't they? Yeah, all this is going on. It's true. And Jesus was legally put to death. Now, it was unjust. He was innocent. That was said over and over again. But Jesus went through a complete legal process. He was arrested. He was arraigned. He was condemned. He was turned over to the soldiers. to be... Why? The, the Gospels present all this to us with meticulous detail, so much detail. Why? Because it must be very clear to the entire world, and it is represented here in Scripture, can't be denied, that Jesus Christ really died that was a public spectacle everybody saw it the resurrection hmm. his resurrection was only revealed to the eyes of the believing crucifixion was public resurrection was reserved for the eyes of his disciples and for those of us who would believe the testimony of the apostles Hopefully, everyone sitting here listening to me. I know I came to a place almost 50 years ago where I believed Jesus rose from the dead because I read it in the book. And God the Holy Spirit gave me eyes to see that truth. That was my conversion, believing in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here again, Peter is getting very personal in his preaching, and he said, God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this particular Jesus whom you crucified. Now, you might think at this point, wow, this has really gotten heavy. And if you think that, you're right. Because the response from the people there is in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut. To the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The Holy Spirit took Peter's words and, like an arrow, pierced the hearts of the people that were there, and they knew they had to do something. They were convicted of their sin, in other words. What did Peter say? It's too late. What's done is done. You guys are in big trouble. Day of judgment is coming, and you will suffer eternally. He didn't say that. Instead, he had a hopeful response. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's verse 38. Repent. That's good news. Repent and believe. Be baptized to give demonstration of your faith, and you'll receive a gift. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You mean our sins can be forgiven? Yes. Well, my friends, I want to get personal with you today. You have to get personal about this. Have your sins been forgiven? Do you believe your sins are forgiven? Do you believe you have sins that need to be forgiven? If so, do you realize that Christ was crucified because of you? Who put Christ on the cross? If he died for the forgiveness of sins, yes, it was Judas. Yes, it was the Jewish leaders. Yes, it was the Gentiles. But it's also you and me. As the hymn goes, behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that I'm forgiven. This is a interesting and important thing to think about. What would you have done if you were there in that crowd? Oh, I would never... I, I could, but do you realize before we can receive the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us? Do you even regard yourself as a sinner in need of grace? If so, It was your sin and mine that put Christ on the cross. Now, I know we don't feel that way about him. I wouldn't mock him now, obviously. Oh, obviously not. I know that. Of course not. But if at some point you have not come to the place where you see that it is your sins that required the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you will never truly feel the need for a Savior, nor understand what it means to be forgiven. John Newton said this. He's the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. He says, I am now old, and I don't remember much, but there are two things I remember. Number one, that I am a great sinner, and number two, that Christ is a great Savior. Yeah, well, John Newton, he's the one that wrote Amazing Grace. Yeah, he was the captain of a slave ship, wasn't he? Of course, he was a terrible sinner. It's not like me. Oh, yeah? Think about it. Think about what put Christ on the cross. It was your sin and mine. Now, I don't say this to make you feel bad. I say this so that you and I can always keep in mind the fact that the reason that Christ is a great Savior and that we have amazing grace is because we are in need of a great Savior. We are sinners in need of a Savior. You walk long enough with the Lord and you begin to get the idea that I'm, I'm, I'm just a wonderful person. Not so. Not so. Hopefully we are growing in grace and God takes delight in that but my brothers and sisters this gospel message that was proclaimed here on the day of pentecost became the foundation of the church of jesus christ and it's so easy to walk away from the centrality of the gospel and the message of the cross and we never want to do that this church must be centered in the cross of jesus christ it's why paul said i determined to know nothing among you corinthians but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not that he wouldn't talk about other things. Of course he would. But they're all going to be connected in some way to the central fact of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he lived a holy life, that he died a sacrificial death for you and me who believe in him, that he was raised from the dead for our justification that he was exalted to the right hand of the Father, that he sent forth the Holy Spirit so that we could be filled with the Spirit and be enabled to ourselves proclaim the gospel message to others. So let's just take a moment as we close here. I want to pray for you that knowing the facts of the gospel is absolutely essential for us as Christians, but then feeling the impact of the weight that, yes, Jesus, you did this for me because I need it. You see, I need a Savior today, and I'll need a Savior tomorrow. It wasn't just in the past that I needed a Savior, and now I'm going to work it all out on my own. Now, God is gracious, God is kind, God is loving. He loved the world so much that He sent His one and only Son. I'm going to pray that you and I not only understand this with our heads, but experience it in our hearts. I need this myself, my friends. I'm not just preaching to you, but to myself. This is what more than anything else will keep us centered, because if we grasp this, it will keep us both humble and happy. It will keep us humble because we know we're sinners saved by Christ, and it will make us happy because we'll know that we're forgiven. And when you're humble and you're happy, you're a very attractive person. Others are going to want to be like you. They're going to want to come to. They're going to want to fellowship with you if you're humble and happy. So let me pray for you, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for the men and the women, the boys and the girls, and even the little ones that are here today. I pray that the impact of the Word of God and the presence of Your Holy Spirit will come, Lord. At one point, we certainly need our hearts pierced the way their hearts were pierced. On the day of Pentecost, when they came face to face with the fact that it was their sins that put Christ on the cross, that he had to die for their sins. Well, Lord, just the same for us here in the 21st century's, century. It was our sins for which Christ died. And we're grateful for that. Jesus, we thank you for agonizing in the garden, for going through the travesty of that trial and then allowing your body to be nailed, put to death at the hands of lawless men. Oh, but, Heavenly Father, it was all according to your predetermined counsel and foreknowledge, because this was the only way that a way of salvation could be opened up for sinful man. Lord, I pray for my friends here today that they would understand this gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that it would impact their hearts that we would be touched in our hearts and that we would walk with that limp knowing that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone in Jesus name we pray amen